Welcome to the Move to Value podcast, powered by Chess Health Solutions. The Move to Value podcast is dedicated to helping healthcare providers understand and make the transition into value-based care. We do this through conversations and the sharing of innovative ideas with experts and leaders throughout the healthcare industry. Our mission is to sustainably transform the healthcare experience for the patient, provider, and care team by cultivating a value-oriented, compassionate, and health-aligned community. Today we talk with Jennifer Houlihan, Vice President of Value-Based Care and Population Health for Atrium Health Wake Forest Baptist, about some of the pressing issues and healthcare concerns facing rural communities and how they are assessed. Jennifer, welcome to the Move to Value podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here today. Can you tell me about the correlation between rural communities, rural hospitals, and poor health? Rural Americans really face numerous health disparities compared with their urban counterparts. 15% of all Americans live in rural areas with higher uh, risk of death. And so thinking about rural communities, rural hospitals, rural health care, their five leading causes are heart disease, cancer, uh, respiratory diseases, stroke, and all of those are impacting um, how we think about healthcare delivery, what we need um, from our rural hospitals, and also what the community focuses on. So rural hospitals are at risk for closure. There are quite a few that have closed over the last uh, several years, and yet there is a greater need as the population ages, the prevalence and incidence of disease grows, uh, and we're at risk for, for access challenges in this community. And so our rural providers really become that, especially in primary care, that um, critical piece to provide that medical home support, to manage these healthcare conditions. And then hospitals often are an anchor in their rural community. And, and really important part, they're often the largest employer um, and have a longstanding history of pride in those communities. So when you think about the ability to seek uh, care close to home, to be able to um, have providers in your backyard and, and be able to care for your population, not only with the chronic disease piece, but again, significant disparities in some of the social drivers I know we'll talk about. So really all of that is connected um, and real challenges being faced by our rural hospitals and, and communities. I see. So what are the socioeconomic factors that are in play here? Yeah, so specifically I'll talk about North Carolina, but really this would be um, applicable much more broadly. But typically in North Carolina what we're seeing is about a 16,000-year um, lower median household income, 26.7% uh, more likely to have children living in poverty, which is a significant socioeconomic factor and, and often a leading indicator for many other social drivers. 21% uh, fewer adults with post-secondary education and approximately 13 to 14% more uninsured residents under the age of 65. So all of those, in addition to, I know some of the, the, the chronic disease, uh, higher percentages of chronic disease, that all presents um, significant challenges for rural communities and the providers and being able to care for them. Can you tell us about some of the health issues that rural communities are facing? Sure. Yeah, there's a couple. So part of um, rural hospitals, and we have uh, a, 
several rural hospitals within the atrium health system uh, with our health department partners every three years we do a, a robust community health needs assessment so looking across um, all of our rural communities uh, we actually kind of ranked through all of them obesity is actually the most prominent issue uh, closely followed by substance misuse mental health chronic disease educational attainment and teen pregnancy but when we looked across all of them obesity and chronic disease is typically um, the number one with i would say substance abuse and mental health um, continuing to um, grow and certainly post-covid that's actually that 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 has actually um, grown in sort of um, needs and identified um, stats in the community as well well, Jennifer, are there any new strategies in play for rural health that will hopefully improve outcomes? There are quite a few strategies. And so I think some, um, that is, again, what we're every, every, really every year we're looking at what strategies are working and what aren't. So a couple different ways we're looking at that. So I'll just talk about from a, from a health system perspective, some of the strategies that we have focused on are really making sure we're improving access. Um, and so whether that's actually hiring more um, OBGYN or primary care into the community, as well as training more residents in the community to hopefully increase that pipeline so um, residents, providers will wanna stay um, and start their practice there. But other ways we're thinking about access are uh, virtual. So obviously COVID expanded our use of virtual, but continuing to provide virtual primary care as well as e-consults. So that's really a way to supplement primary care and close the specialty care gap. So we have kind of created a very robust program um, within the enterprise that all of our primary care would have access to all the specialties across. Uh, so that can certainly cut down on um, driving time and also timeliness to, to be able to get some of that specialty support. Uh, the other piece is really thinking about more creative ways to partner with our AD, our hospitalists, um, really partnering some of our transitions of care team, our, our care management team to be more aligned. So when patients are um, either transitioning out, um, or out or even before they're in, knowing that there's sort of this continuum approach. Also looking at things like remote patient monitoring, allowing us to do more um, management in patients' homes. Um, and really we've done that with COVID, but now expanding to congestive heart failure, et cetera. And then again, kind of making sure that we're using data where we can to understand maybe who some of our highest risk patients are that we need to proactively reach out to, uh, whether that's through some of our social work, community health worker initiatives uh, to be able to manage them. From a CHNA standpoint, that again, that is another way we're thinking about, and that's usually uh, done more in partnership. So with our that could be, um, of course, our local public health departments. We have supported um, the development and implementation of federally qualified health centers to expand access points, um, certainly funding for farmer's market, transportation initiatives, partnering with our schools on, could be healthy meals, physical activity programs. Brenner Fit's a great example. Um, there's a tele Brenner Fit component but really that focuses on healthy eating um, for patients and their families. And then certainly our Faith Health NC has done a lot of work with local congregations. Um, and we actually have um, 
one of our faith health leads many in our rural hospitals. So really supporting that linkage back to the faith health community and developing transportation supports or maybe where congregations are driving patients, um, but also making different investments in some of those more social drivers. Outstanding. So you touched on this a bit, and I'd like to hear more about the community health needs assessments that you're involved with. Yeah, so those are, um, you know, post, post the Affordable Health Care Act, all nonprofit hospitals uh, were required now to conduct a community health needs assessment every three years. And health departments also have usually an accreditation um, requirement associated with that. I think for our system, we were always doing assessments, working closely with our local health department and um, nonprofit and foundation partners. But this um, really is um, now under post-ACA, there is a little bit more, I guess, guidelines on what to include in that. So that includes everything from understanding our own data. So really taking a look at um, uh, ED and hospitalization, but understanding certainly for our self-pay and underserved populations, um, looking at our own EMR data of chronic disease prevalence and seeing, you know, what, what are patients coming in for? Are we seeing increases, decreases um, in certain conditions? But then it's also really supplementing with um, secondary data, so Center for Disease Control data, CMS data, uh, census data, American Community Survey data, which is looking a lot of um, what's happening with, with income and poverty um, and, and more of a holistic look. And then we use a lot of the county health uh, rankings data, which does a great job sort of summarizing that. But more importantly, it's also collecting primary care data, so actually holding focus groups and doing surveys with our residents and community members to find out what they feel is working well, what are barriers to health, wh what are gaps still in the community. Um, and then usually the process, once you sort of integrate all of this rich primary and secondary data, really coming together with your community partners to sort of prioritize where do we need to focus. And so that really is then developing. And all of these reports are available publicly online. Um, you can go to our Atrium Health website. You can go to our specific hospital websites. And then in addition to that, um, and they're approved by our board, so there's higher visibility there. They actually, these findings and assessments actually get reviewed at the, at the leadership level. And then the result of that is to develop a plan of how we are going to uh, tackle that. And it's called an implementation strategy. So that's also publicly available. And there you would find what are we proposing to do to tackle obesity in, in, in this county, or these are the investments that we've made, this is how we'll evaluate success. And so all of that um, would be captured in that strategy. I would say health systems, have been doing this work for years. It just provides a little bit more of a structure. And then our health department and oftentimes our competitor hospitals are partners in this work too, because it's really about sort of coming together to address these social needs, um, regardless of whether there's competition or not. Well, Jennifer, where do we go from here? Um, one of the things we're working to address too is educating the next generation of rural care providers. So I think Maybe even the last question. Um, I think that does take 
I think just even how how does value-based care and pop health get infused or integrated into um, medical school curriculums today, but certainly knowing that some of the rural population challenges are going to be more um, heightened or more prevalent than maybe in some um, other non-rural practices. So I think that the educational pipeline is critical. And so would just add that, that, that again, that's certainly not my area of expertise, but that is one way um, because access at the end of the day, we're trying to ensure adequate access. That's one of the other pieces that we want to continue to, to um, support and emphasize as well. Jennifer Houlihan, thank you for joining us today on the Move to Value podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Move to Value podcast, powered by Chess Health Solutions, where our mission is to sustainably transform the healthcare experience for the patient, provider, and care team. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. As always, you can head over to movetovaluepodcast.com to sign up for the email list, as well as check out all the resources in the show notes. If you are interested in continuing to hear about value-based care and how it impacts you, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Also, we would love it if you would share the Move to Value podcast across social media and leave a rating and review. See you next time.